Hey, everybody. It's Matt Cabry, proud host of the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio and podcast program heard right here on 1210 WPHT and radio.com. It's the show that brings us the amazing stories of business success, economic development, and transformational projects. This is an encore presentation of one episode that really captures the spirit of reimagining the future. We call it Innovation at Penovation, and it features Craig Carnaroli of the University of Pennsylvania, along with two companies that operate out of this creative space. Now, before we enjoy this encore presentation, I want to take a moment to thank the team at General Building Contractors Association. They're also known as GBCA. Without their belief in us at Select Greater Philadelphia and their highly engaged support of this podcast, well, we could not do what we do every day to showcase the business assets of our 11-county community as we work to attract new companies and new jobs here. The expert construction professionals who are members of the GBCA, well, they're literally helping to build the future of Greater Philadelphia. Learn more about all that GBCA does to advance the commercial, industrial, and institutional construction industry by visiting gbca.com. Join me in thanking General Building Contractors Association for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Now, let's enjoy this encore presentation of Growing Greater Philadelphia. Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by the University of Pennsylvania, Citizens Bank, and the General Building Contractors Association. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia, bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. Welcome into our next exciting edition of Growing Greater Philadelphia, where we share the stories of economic development and growth across the region. Hey, joining me today, Talk Radio 1210's Dan Loney. Dan, it's great to have you here. Matt, as always, great to spend some time with you. Today, we're going to focus on innovation. Well, and innovation is a big story in business these days, but we're going to focus on it from the local level, specifically what's going on near the University of Pennsylvania with Pennovation. And uh, Executive Vice President Craig Carnaroli, well, he's responsible for overseeing the University of Pennsylvania's physical campus and its financial strength and its operational efficiency. And what a great job Craig and his team have done. Yeah, and one of the more recent and transformative projects that Craig and his team have implemented is the development of Pennovation work. It's a 23-acre industrial site in southwest Philadelphia that has been totally reimagined. Totally reimagined, Dan, because, you know, Pennovation is really a business incubator, and it's a laboratory that aligns and integrates researchers and innovators and entrepreneurs for the commercialization of research discoveries. And Craig had the chance to sit down with Matt to share more about how the vision of Pennovation actually got its start. A lot of it emanates from the vision that President Gutman set out when she arrived on campus here in 2004, when she laid out a vision around this Penn Compact. And over time, the Penn Compact has evolved into a broader vision, which we now have three pillars, one around inclusion, innovation and impact and Pennovation flows directly out of out of her vision around how to make Penn a more innovative and impactful university. 
And we were fortunate enough in 2008, one of the, I guess, few benefits you call out of the great financial crisis was that uh, this particular property, the 23 acres here in Southwest Philadelphia, became um, available. And I think, as you know, having 23 acres contiguous in the city of Philadelphia um, doesn't come up every day, uh, and particularly proximate to the university. And truth be told, when we acquired it, we really weren't sure exactly what we might do with it. But over time, as we try to put a strategic plan around innovation, having a place where we could really apply the knowledge that was coming out of the intellectual property and from our students and PhD students here at Penn, uh, having us sort of a little bit laboratory playground uh, really has helped us for the innovation goal. Yeah. Yeah. So the, one of the reasons I love being on the third floor is because of the, the ceilings. They can take advantage in terms of how they use that space there for the robots, to, the drones to fly around. While Penovation is an incubator, it's a little more sophisticated than this startup garage look and feel that we all may imagine. On the north facade of the building, a specially designed glass feature illustrates the forward-looking spirit that really embodies this space. And that complements but also disrupts the classic university aesthetic. And when you walk inside and traverse the halls and stairways, you can see, feel, and actually hear the lively activity. Everything from drone testing to the 3D printing of human tissue. And we'll explore that amazing activity a little bit later. Craig details how Pennovation has evolved into a core component of Penn's vision for their future. Well, ironically, I have to say this falls in the category of more opportunistic than it does that we were strategic. And that, um, as you know, we've been trying to build strength in our engineering capacity, particularly around nanotechnology. And so we were actually searching for a spot to relocate all of the buses and vans that were parked on the site where we ultimately build the nanotechnology building. So in truth, we stumbled upon this opportunity, um, but that's okay. How you get there doesn't matter as long as you get there. Um, and so at the time, DuPont was rethinking their operations. So this site had the, the 23 acres, but it had some buildings that sort of, as the, in the parlance goes, had good bones that we were able to repurpose. So it had some good warehousing, labs, office, um, R&D space, like the space we're in right now at the Penovation Center. Center, um, but it clearly gives us capacity to grow. And concurrently, while we're doing that, uh, our good friends at PIDC were reimagining the Lower Schuylkill, and they very much resonated, as did we, with the notion of this being uh, a key driver of reimagining the Lower Schuylkill as an innovation hub. So one of the companies that I think would surprise uh, folks the most is a longstanding Pennsylvania kind of iconic institution known as Hershey Foods that saw value in stepping outside their comfort zone and establishing operations here at Pennovation. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about how that happened. Um, that's also a great story in that one of our alumni actually read about the Pennovation Center, what we're doing in the innovation space in our alumni magazine and reached out to us 
us. So they found us. And like you, there were many in the universe surprised about what would a company whose primary business is in um, candy and chocolate want to do innovation-wise with the university. But I think what people forget is the diversity of what happens in the production. So they were interested in connections with Wharton around sort of brand and data analytics. Uh, they were interested in the, the medical school around whether there's a was a process around drug delivery through chocolate. They were interested in talking with our operations and research people around advanced manufacturing practices. So, so there were a whole bunch of intersection points that are not apparent on the surface, but as you dig deeper, and I think what I see with a lot of sort of Fortune 100 and 500 companies is that I think they're tired of getting new ideas, or maybe they're not getting ideas from the consulting world. They want to get closer to the action where you know the kind of basic research, innovation, thought is happening, and how can they get closer to the faculty and ideas and students and and be able to to get that cutting edge advantage to compete in a in a very very competitive space. There's been a lot of success here at Pennovation over the past 18 months or so, and I suspect there's a lot more to come. What do you think is next for Pennovation? That's a great question. It's something we think a lot about. Uh, we've actually done a strategic plan to think about the spaces. We have a wonderful building that's waiting to be renovated that could support really the growth of the next stage of the companies here at the Pennovation Center. But also, we've also been looking carefully at the Brookings study that was commissioned uh, in part by um, Comcast, the Chamber, and Drexel with, with Penn as a partner of that effort. And I think as Brookings identified, Gene and cell therapy is something that there are a lot of intellectual assets here in Philadelphia. Um, and what we really want to do is retain the benefits of that technology here by the, having the companies reside here. And I think if Pennovation can play a good role as part of that retention, it would be good. There's also need for, say, shared facilities around vector manufacturing. And this could be a great site given our co-location here with Penn Medicine and CHOPS. So um, I think it's, uh, it's trying to take advantage of these emerging technologies that we have a particular expertise in, like gene and cell therapy, and realize the vision that we're all trying to uh, promote around Silicon Valley. And to listen to the full interview between Craig and Matt, go online right now at 1210WPHD.com slash select. And coming up, a great idea? Well, it's just that, a great idea, unless you actually have the means to bring it to life. And we sat down with one venture capitalist to learn more about the niche that he and his company have carved out. It seems everyone wants to make greater Philadelphia their home. Did you know that Philadelphia is ranked by the Huffington Post as one of the top 10 cities to relocate to in the U.S.? For more information on Philadelphia's rankings, visit selectgreaterphl.com. This is a citizen's perspective on instant gratification. Presented by me, Terry Goggins, branch manager at Citizens Bank. Today, we live our lives on our phones. We can order food and have it delivered to our doorstep. We can request cars to come pick us up wherever we want. We can even find a date. And it all happens in a flash. On the Citizens Bank app, together with Zelle, you can send and receive money in minutes from just about anyone with a bank account in the U.S. Straight from your phone, too. And while some things on your phone, like your parents' Wi-Fi password, can be hard, Capital T, lowercase c, 8, is that an O or a zero? Zelle is easy, the way sending and receiving money should be. 
Learn more about how our mobile app with Zelle can help you reach your potential at citizensbank.com slash Zelle. To receive money in minutes, the recipient's email address or U.S. mobile number must already be enrolled with Zelle. Only use Zelle to send money to people you know and trust. The Zelle Services Property of Early Warning Services, LLC. Wireless carrier text and or data charges may apply. Member FDIC. Citizens Bank is a brand name of Citizens Bank and Citizens Bank of Pennsylvania. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Stradley Ronan, a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Stradley Ronan has been recognized as one of the region's top mid-sized companies for charitable giving, volunteer opportunities, and philanthropy to benefit Greater Philadelphia. Learn more about Stradley Ronan at stradley.com or call 215-564-8000. Select GreaterPHL.com for stories of our collective community and the mission of Select Greater Philadelphia to grow the economic vibrancy of our region. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia. Being a venture capitalist might be one of the most glamorous job titles, but as with any occupation, it has its own challenges. In venture capital, you're going to be wrong in both directions. You're going to have false positives and false negatives. There's going to be the company that you invested in that didn't work out, but there's also the companies that we passed on that worked out really well. That's the voice of Brett Topchi. He's Managing Director of Red and Blue Ventures. You know, funding from venture capitalists, it's the fuel that drives most startups, allowing them to take something that was just a good idea and begin to turn it into an actual company, providing a service or a product. Brett explains what sets the Red and Blue Ventures team apart. Red and Blue Ventures is a seed stage venture capital fund. That means we're getting involved with companies pretty much at their earliest stages of development, pre-revenue, maybe early revenue. But what's unique about Red and Blue Ventures is that we've built our entire fund around the University of Pennsylvania ecosystem. What we mean by that is we're typically backing student, faculty, or alumni entrepreneurs. I believe as a small venture capital fund, you really have to narrowly define what it is that you're going to be good at. And for us, rather than being sector experts in a very narrow area, we thought here in Philadelphia, we've got an incredible resource in the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, It's one of the top educational institutions in the world. Um, They've got incredibly talented people on the faculty side as well as on the student side across a huge variety of areas. And so if we're going to build a fund in Philadelphia, why not do it to take advantage of one of its greatest resources? Um, In addition, my partner, Michael Aronson, taught there for a dozen years and has a deep network both on the faculty side as well as on the alumni side with thousands of former students. And there are a few things more powerful that you can build a fund around than a strong network like that. You know, one of Red and Blue Ventures' most notable investments is Warby Parker. It's a startup that disrupted the prescription eyeglass industry. And the story of Warby Parker? Well, it started right here in greater Philadelphia, in the classrooms and the dorm rooms at the University of Pennsylvania. And if you're not familiar with Warby Parker, well, calling them buzzworthy, that would be an understatement. It's a terrific story, and one of the things that I love about it is that these are people who were not entrepreneurs before they got to Penn and decided to be when they got here and met their co-founders here. And I'm seeing that more and more on college campuses at Penn, but also at Drexel and at Temple, where people at school are finding their co-founders while they're at school. And many of them, particularly at the grad school level, are very intentional about it. And they're going back to school looking to start a company and looking to find people that they're going to work with. And they're looking at the, particularly with business school, the two years of business school as almost a testing ground for different ideas that they may come up with. As a startup, talk a little bit about the uh, ecosystem of startups in greater Philadelphia. And I know there's obviously the connection to Penn with Red and Blue Ventures. Um, But is there something even more unique about Philadelphia when it comes to the startup scene? 
There's a lot of good things happening in Philadelphia. I think one of the really important things that Philly has going for it is the ratio of talent to startups. Um, I, I hear about the talent that's in other places. Uh, you hear about San Francisco or New York or some of the more, I'll call them traditional venture capital markets. And yes, there's a huge number of really talented people there. But you also can't walk 15 feet in San Francisco without tripping over an entrepreneur. And what you see is there's a lot of people to hire initially, but the tenure at these businesses tends to be pretty short. People are hopping from company to company to company with this incredibly intense competition for talent. In Philly, we have a lot of really talented people and our terrific universities are cranking out more and more talented people every year. And there are plenty of opportunities for them, but the competition is maybe a little bit less fierce and you can hire really good people and hopefully keep them longer in Philly than you can in other places, which is great. Um, there's also a lot to be said for the quality of life in the city itself and in the, in the surrounding suburbs. Um, I'm not originally from Philadelphia and it took me a little while to get my head around Philly. and. What I've learned is that it's a terrific place to live in addition to being a great place to work. And I'm, I'm raising my young children in the city, which is, uh, which is fantastic and something that is often very difficult to do in other metropolitan areas for, for cost of living reasons. Um, and really, I think Philly, in addition to all of that, gives you terrific access. So I was recently at an event called The Rise of the Rest that Steve Case is running, the founder of AOL. And he was bringing together entrepreneurs from all over the country and all of these non-traditional startup markets. And one of the things that was very difficult for a lot of those places was access to large companies, access to larger markets. Well, Philadelphia, first of all, is probably the largest market by population that was at this event. But just as importantly, being part of the Northeast Corridor with relatively easy Amtrak access for anywhere from D.C. to Boston, it's not just Philadelphia. You're, you have all the advantages of Philadelphia while having access to the much broader ecosystem. Coming back to Red and Blue Ventures, what do you want to tell a recent Penn grad and maybe someone who's not so recent, you know, someone who graduated last year and someone who graduated 31 years ago uh, about their idea and how they could potentially partner with and engage with Red and Blue? Well, in terms of how to engage with us, I would say the biggest thing is start engaging with us sooner rather than later. Um, there's a VC out on the West Coast named Mark Suster who, who writes a terrific blog called Both Sides of the Table. And he, he was a former entrepreneur and now he's a venture capitalist. And he wrote something that's one of my favorite pieces about how to interact with, with VCs. And it's called I Invest in Lines, Not Dots. And the whole concept is anytime I meet with someone, that's a data point about them, about their business. But it's very difficult to draw a conclusion about someone's trajectory from a data point. Ideally, you get to see multiple data points over a series of time, and that's how you figure out where things are going. And I think, at least for me, and different people feel differently about this, but at least for me, I strongly prefer to meet an entrepreneur as early as possible in the process, even when they're not raising money, and get a sense for who they are and what are they about and what are they trying to accomplish in the near term. And then as I subsequently meet them again and again over a period of time, first of all, I get to get a sense for their track record of accomplishment. And I think that's incredibly important. Can you build momentum behind your business? Can you do some of the things that you set out to do? But just as importantly, what did you set out to do that you decided not to do? One thing I've learned after almost 16 years in, in venture capital and, and the startup world 
is that the business plan that you go to market with is pretty much always wrong. You're, you're making assumption layered on top of assumption layered on top of assumption. You can't possibly be right about all of this. And so the entrepreneurs who are the most successful are the ones who gather market feedback and figure out where they're wrong and adjust accordingly as quickly as possible. And one of the things I love to ask entrepreneurs when I meet them the second, third, fourth time is what were you planning on doing that you realized wasn't the right thing and what are you doing instead? And understanding the way people can gather and incorporate market feedback and change direction, to me, is one of the most important things out there. So um, engage early, engage often is something that, that I hear. And other people feel differently. I've heard people reference the silly old coffee commercial. Uh, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Um, I think it was coffee. Maybe it was shampoo. Who remembers? But, um, right. you know. I think the more I can get to know a person over a period of time, the more likely I am to invest, and certainly the more likely I am to make a good decision about that investment. So that, that's certainly part of it. And, and hopefully it's a two-way conversation, and hopefully I'm adding value to the entrepreneur along the way. Some of that could be sharing some strategic advice based on my experiences in the markets. Um, some of that may be sharing current market knowledge of what I'm seeing out there in terms of what types of companies are getting funded, who else might be working on similar problems. Certainly not giving away anything confidential, but often saying, hey, have you looked at these two or three companies that, that are out there and, and public with what they're trying to do in your space? And then hopefully being able to make some strategic introductions as well. So, oh, you're, you're working on problem X. Have you ever met this person? This person is an expert in problem X. And it's one of the great things about being on a college campus is we're surrounded by world-leading experts in some of these things. And a lot of the professors, uh, particularly with student companies, but with alumni companies, a lot of the professors are very excited to get involved and at least meet with some of these entrepreneurs. Brett gave us really great insight into the modern landscape of funding startups, and you can hear our whole conversation online right now at 1210wpht.com slash select. And coming up next, 3D printing takes a giant leap forward. Millennials are helping to make Greater Philadelphia a major talent hub in the United States. 39% of millennials hold a bachelor's degree or higher compared with 33% across the nation. Find out more at selectgreaterphl.com and tune in to the growing Greater Philadelphia podcast on radio.com. NBC10 and Select Greater Philadelphia are proud to partner on the growing Greater Philadelphia television program. Watch stories of economic development and business success from across the 11 counties of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania at NBCPhiladelphia.com slash news slash growing Greater Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross is a leading health insurance company offering health plans including managed care, Medicare, and Medicaid with over 10,000 dedicated employees. Learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Liberty Property Trust has been creating environments that help businesses realize their full potential for nearly 50 years. To learn about the Philadelphia Navy Yard or other Liberty Properties, visit libertyproperty.com or call 215-568-4100. Growing Greater Philadelphia, bringing you the people and projects that are transforming our collective community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. So while three-dimensional printing, also known as 3D printing, dates back to 1984, it began to get traction as a viable business model in the early 2000s. 
and what sounds like a science fiction fantasy, 3D printing is a process for making a physical object from a three-dimensional digital model, typically by laying down many successive thin layers of a material. Printing veins, and then they're printing blood clots, and then they're able to pump drugs through the artificial vein, or the 3D printed vein, and see what breaks up the clot. That might have sounded a little complicated. You know, this technology described by Alevi's Maddie Winter, it's about the printing of human tissue. So we went from this to actually printing biological material, human cells, in less than 25 years. And companies like Alevi, which produce 3D printers that can replicate human cells, well, that's the type of work that epitomizes the activity that's taking place every day at Panovation. Maddie, tell us a little bit about Alevi. What does Alevi do? So we make 3D bioprinters and bioinks. It's a 3D printer that prints living tissue. So tissues like skin, heart, stomach, cartilage. So it takes cells and a biocompatible material and prints them layer by layer to the desired structure. It's used by researchers all over the world to do game-changing work. How did you and your team come up with this concept of, hey, let's print cells? Well, our CEO was working at a lab at University of Pennsylvania, uh, and they were working with printing sugar scaffolds, which are biocompatible. Uh, And so he was working in this lab, and it was kind of during the maker movement, the rep-rap movement. And he thought it was super duper cool. And so he asked his advisor if he'd please teach him how to make one of these devices. Uh, And so with kind of a a kit for 3D printers, he hacked away at it to make our first prototype in his dorm room, uh, which was our our beta device. Uh, And with that device, we're able to win a lot of great competitions, get some, um, you know, pre-seed funding, uh, he met me, and we, uh, we've gone on since then. Take us back to that day when you went to the Dream It Labs and you stumbled upon your colleagues. So I was actually looking for a job within 3D printing, but as a mechanical engineer, I thought I was looking for a plastic 3D printing company. I had no idea that 3D bioprinting was a thing. Uh, And to fill my time during the summer while I was interviewing for full-time positions, I decided to intern with the Dreamit Accelerator. Uh, And that was the same summer that Ricky was going through the Dream It Accelerator as a company uh, with our prototype. And so serendipitously, I didn't realize it, but that was kind of the 3D printing company I was looking for. And uh, I already had a a knowledge on the inner workings of how the device worked. I had little to no knowledge on the biology, uh, but had spent some summers in finance and was able to help with the early stages of business development and kind of figuring out how we were gonna sell this thing. How does the Alevi device impact others? Our researchers are global, they're all around the world, and they're doing really cool cutting edge research with our device. Uh, So they're tackling big problems. They're working on finding cures for disease, creating novel therapies, um, developing novel drugs, Uh, finding ways to test drugs and test therapies outside the body. Um, So they're doing some really, really cool stuff. And, you know, we have customers that are working on everything from brain to bone and everything in between. So we have customers at 
uh, Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine. They're printing uh, cancerous tumors and then they're testing therapies, they're testing chemotherapies on the tumors outside the body. So study of the body outside the body. So right now it's really a research tool, but the implications of where this research is going are huge. In the short time that the 3D printing of human cells has been available through your device, is there something that caught your eye uh, that really caused you to say, wow, this has some really significant potential? So we have customers that are working on you know, heart disease, um, things that have touched everyone you know, that you know. So heart disease, cancer research, better ways to uh, study and repair bone. So you know, we've all broken a bone before. So the implications are vast. If I'm not getting too deep into the weeds, share with us a little bit about the um, manufacturing distribution aspects of your work and how easy it is it to, to reach your customers. And, and how many customers do you have around the world? Today, we're in over 150 labs in 30 countries all over the world. And we work with manufacturers nearby, so here in Levittown, um, so just an hour outside the city, um, in New Jersey, and in Massachusetts, so right in the area in the, the Northeast. And we've been a global operation since our first five printers went out. So one of our first printers ended up in um, Australia. So we have customers all over the world, and that really happened from day one. So we're off traveling to conferences, uh, overseas because our customer is all over the world and research is happening in all these amazing labs all over the world. And to learn more about all that's happening at Penovation, including the full interviews for each of these amazing stories, go to 1210wphd.com slash select. Growing Greater Philadelphia is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. We focus on growing the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our community. Special thanks to our investors and our partners who believe in our work. And a special thanks to producers Elena Carmazan and Maricela Juarez, and our writer Samara Grizel, and our researcher Steve Boucher. Learn more at selectgreaterphl.com and tune in to our podcast on 1210wphd.com slash select. Thanks, and join us next week.